Welcome to the new TV Gold podcast from Media Week's Andrew Mercado and James Manning, a podcast for people who love great television. Welcome to a new TV Gold podcast, Media Week's weekly program reviewing new dramas, mostly on television. I'm James Manning and my co-host Andrew Mercado and I will be looking at two very different dramas this week. That strangely, they sort of have a deep connection, although I may be overplaying that last bit a little. I will also talk about a new streaming device, Hubble, which was launched this week, sort of, and I'll explain that later. As I welcome to the show today my co-host Andrew, I'll recap quickly the recent shows of the week. Two weeks ago, we both agreed on Mr Bates versus the post office, which you can watch now on 7 Plus. And I noticed a show still having having ramifications in the UK as recently as last weekend, where a government official alleged it was instructed to delay payments being made to the um, post office managers for the sort of sort of software fraud that they've suffered. Last week our vote was split. Andrew went for three women and I opted for the new look which I'm proud to say I've since watched all 10 episodes. Well, there you go. I've not watched any more, but I'm working my way through three women. I'm up to episode six, and it's just gotten better and better for me. In fact, I'll write about it in Media Week on Friday. I think this is going to be one of the dramas of the year for me. It's just been extraordinary. So, yeah, watch this space. Uh, when I'll get back to the new look, I don't know. But, look, a lot of talk about Mr Bates versus the post office, a lot of people discovering it. Yeah. I see that Stebbin are putting to air a real a documentary, a real-life documentary that's on the back of the miniseries. So it must be doing okay for them if they're doing that as well. But, yeah, a lot of people discovering Mr Bates and I'm seeing a lot of chatter about it on uh, social media. Oh, that's great. It's such a it's such a frightening story and it's so well told in yeah. this tunnel. And, and as we say, it's still unfolding week by week, the ramifications of what's happened. Okay, so this week, House of Gods, uh, an Australian drama, six episodes on the ABC and iView, and Killers of the Flower Moon. Martin Scorsese movie that we all sort of know about, but Andrew and I both hadn't found time to watch it. So this week we're a little bit light light on for content. So we took the opportunity of um, sitting down to watch it. Although I say, you know, it gets a lot of hype, this movie, about how long it is. But look, I've just watched um, the new look, 10 hours, you know. So come on, people, toughen up. But can I just say this? If Did the t- new look need to be 10 hours or could they have done that story in eight or six episodes? Yes, they could. But there still within six hours, though, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right, look, let's start with House of Gods, ABC yeah. IU, six uh, episodes telling the story of Sheikh Mohammed and his two children. So this is the ABC's big first big new Australian drama of the year. It takes the Sunday primetime 8.30pm slot now that Total con- Control has finished, aired its final episode, and what a great episode it was too. So now we get House of Gods coming in, and, and the first episode is very much about an election to vote for a new head cleric of uh, the Australian Muslim uh, Church. Um, so the we meet, mosque. yeah, mosque, I should say. We meet the uh, 
the man who wants this role. We meet his children. Uh, it's sort of the day of the election, which will be held that night in the mosque. And so we see a bit of, you know, a little bit of electioneering. A, an extraordinary scene in it where he go, goes to a community radio station and who's the interviewer? Antoinette Latouf, who's now suing the ABC, but is in an ABC drama. I mean, I was just like, wow, that's just crazy. Look, she does a really good job there. I mean, we saw Narelda Jacobs playing um, a similar role in that last episode of Total Control as well. So, yeah, then the vote is held uh pretty obvious, I think, who's going to be elected so that we can see what's going to happen in the next few episodes. I watched episode two as well. I always try and watch two episodes. And I've got to say, James, I was left pretty cold by this. I think that it's extremely, It's. I think it's too serious. I think they're doing a really uh, in-depth and respectful look at this subject, which really hasn't been done a lot in Australian film and TV. But to me, it's lacking a narrative and a punchy thing to make you want to keep watching. It just takes itself so seriously. And I really struggle as to if people do make it through the first episode, I don't see where House of Gods is saying you need to watch all six hours of it. I just uh, thought it was lacking that kind of killer punch to go, yeah, yeah, this is a drama that demands your attention. What did you think, James? Yeah, well, I've got to say I'm sort of pleased to hear you say that because I've, during that first episode I was saying, oh, this is going so slow. And my reference to the connection maybe between this and the Flowers of the Killer Moon, they're both like bit-watching slow TV. It's yeah. sort of drawn-out drama. I've watched three episodes now of um, House of Gods, and I've, I've come back around a little bit. I'm, I'm not quite as maybe negative as you are on it, but I, I felt a little bit guilty about because it's such a sort of worthy project and I felt, gee, should I be just trying to champion this a, a bit more or admitting, oh, look, I, I think they're going to lose a lot of audience, which is what you're alluding to, right? Because yeah, absolutely. It's just oh, I think it's really that. interesting. I think it's really interesting to wonder what SBS would have made of this material because SBS has form in this. SBS have been making a lot of Australian dramas for a lot less money and what they do is they sort of go, right, well, let's now base this around the Australian Filipino community and they come up with the unusual suspects on Netflix, which is this kind of comedy jewel heist thriller with all the rich eastern suburbs wives and the Filipino um, maids and workers for them. So, you know, I'm not saying that House of Gods needed to be that, but I think it needs something else. And what disappoints me with this is that Osama Sami, who is one of the stars of this and who is one of the lead creatives, he has previous form in this. He had a movie several years back called Ali's Wedding, which is basically a rom-com about um, this Australian Muslim man meeting this girl, Ali, and would they, I think from memory, it might have been an arranged marriage and they didn't know whether they'd like each other. All I know is that 
I showed that movie at my cinema when I had it and it was it went off and people loved it and there was a light touch to that and that's what's missing from House of Gods. Um, yes, it's a different genre. It's not a romantic comedy, but it doesn't have that sort of lightness to you to make, oh, yeah, there's some light and shade here. It's all so very serious and one note and, and I think that's going to be to its detriment. Yeah, I had a few problems with some of the storylines seem a bit, a bit stretched. That you you mentioned that um, the scene in the radio station, the preceding that, you know, the sheikh is walking through this suburb in it's sort of Sydney. They never say it's Sydney, but the Messenger Mosque is set in suburban Sydney. I think they mentioned Fairfield uh, once or twice. I think. Um, yep. So it's the day of the vote. So, but he he passes a cafe along the street, and there's three girls sitting there, and they they giggle when they see him, and oh, you know, oh great, you know, you look fantastic. He had the turban on, and they they ask him for a selfie. So yeah, he he reluctantly agrees, and they're so thrilled. One of the girls kisses him on the cheek after taking the selfie, and then lo and behold, when he's in the radio station later, the host has found her got got a copy of this photo of and apparently that's a real no-no of of someone kissing like one of the heads of the mosque and you know so this blows up into a big religious sort of firestorm you know and i'm thinking oh as if there's just too many coincidences there you know i get it they've put it in for the storyline and then he wins there's just five people i think or there's a few votes anyway and he managed just to just win um to secure the deciding vote, but only after his son, um, played by Osama Sami, um, uh, secures the deciding vote by sort of paying a bribe, if you like, by yeah, by promising to donate all this money, and um, uh, something which has ramifications in successive issue, uh, successive successive episodes. There was just and- too many coincidences stacked on together there, I think. Yeah, and obviously that bribe is going to come back to haunt him. That's obviously where the drama is yeah. going to be made. But, yeah, it's, you know, that. See, what we're really talking about here is this is really a drama about religion when you really boil it down. And there is an audience for that if you get it right. If we think back to the days of uh Brides of Christ when the ABC made it. I mean, on paper, you would have been looking at that going, who in Australia is going to watch want to watch a story about nuns? And yet they made this incredibly uh, fascinating miniseries that's still regarded as a classic to this day. So you can do it, but you've got to do it in a way that, you know, I mean, I was watching that exchange about you've let a woman peck you on the cheek for a social media post that clearly looked like a social media post. You know, it was quite obvious that the young girl who posted that was was doing it. And I don't think there would have been any suggestion at all that the sheik would have invited that kiss. And yeah. yet they it's turned into this big drama. Like how can you lead um, our mosque if you're going to be breaking the rules and letting a strange woman kiss you and this big discussion about it and bubbling away in the surface there 
of those first two episodes I saw is um, one of his daughters, as played by Sophia Arain, who's a fantastic actress. I mean, we've seen her in Bump. We've seen her in uh, the Appleton Ladies Potato Race. She's getting a lot of work at the moment. It's great. And she's sort of saying, hey, you know, Papa, we've got to, um, you know, do something about this. Can I leave home? Can I go out and live by myself? You should you should be seen as a, a modern leader by letting me go out and uh, leave the family home. So that's all there. But I don't know. I think maybe that part of the story needs to be to be beefed up a part because, you know, all the scenes with all the men in the church talking aren't very interesting. Yeah, no, no, they're not for sure. Um, I would have liked a little bit more of a backstory about the children to yeah. learn a little bit about them. And unless I missed it in that first episode, I kept wondering what's happened to the mother. Yeah, uh, I don't. I couldn't tell you that either. I think in the second episode they mentioned briefly that she passed, so she died. But but you didn't. I don't think you find that out till the second episode. Sort of like to to, to learn a little bit more about about that, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But as I say, I'm I'm sort of warming to it. Um, you mentioned the um, one of the female leads, Safia Arain, also Priscilla. Excuse the pronunciation, Duihi. I'm not sure. She was also in one of my favourites, the um, Special Ops, Lioness Special Ops. Oh, was she now? Wow. Yeah. yeah. So um, it was fantastic to see her in this. But they're both excellent. They both carry it quite a lot. Look, you do get a bit of the backstory. Maybe I'm too impatient. You do get a bit more backstory in the second and the third episode, and there's six episodes to get through. So we've we've got the best part of six hours here. So, you know, I guess I, I, I <laughs> you're getting a bit impatient when we watch a couple of episodes and, you know, but, but if you're watching... But how many more more episodes are we supposed to watch? It goes for yeah. six hours. You've watched three of them. You're still having doubts. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Most punters out there don't even go to a second episode. They watch a first episode. If it doesn't grab them, they turn it off and they switch to another channel. I mean, where are the exceptions in that we keep giving these shows an extra chance? I give even a bad show an extra chance and say, all right, give me one more episode. Maybe things are going to pick up in the in the second episode. But if you haven't grabbed me by the second episode, I'm I'm not going to keep watching to give them another chance. Yeah. And we, we're talking before this is even aired. So, I mean, we both could be wrong and this might do fantastic business. But <clears throat> I couldn't help thinking, though, when I was watching it, thinking, gee whiz, seven or nine would never consider commissioning anything like this, not just because of the subject matter, just because it moves quite slowly. You know, yeah. there's not a lot to keep you really engaged. You know, I, I think it tells a story worth telling it. It investigates um, a community we don't see much Correct. You know, of on the screen, so that's that's why it's worth watching. But you know, it, it, we I think we both would have liked a little bit more. Yeah, and I mean, you can watch Ali's Wedding, which is his previous work, and you can learn some really uh, interesting stuff about his community via that movie, but it's delivered to you uh, in a less serious tone. And I just think that, you know, is this worthy 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah but I, I, it just really worries me how many people are going to turn up for this and, and go for this ride. I, I, I suspect it's not going to be many. Yeah. Well, hopefully because it's on the ABC, they, they might be tempted, you know, and it might do, and it might do reasonable business on iView too. So let's hope so. So that's House of Gods, ABC iView, six episodes, um, launching on Sunday. I think it's the 25th. Okay, let's move on to Killers of the Flower Moon, Apple TV yeah. movie. Started in the cinemas. A few weeks after that, it went into um, streaming, and um, Apple TV Plus is the place to watch it. And look, I only mention the length because it's getting so much commentary three and a half hours. It passed, I think I watched it in two sittings. So it, yeah. it passed, passes reasonably quickly. I've got to say, I pretty much had a good time. Yeah, well, um, I was never going to go see the cinema cinema when it goes for three and a half hours. It's like, who do you think you're, you're kidding? You know, we've talked about this before. If you want to run a film that long, <laughs> you need to put in an intermission. And it does my head in to think that the film companies uh, won't give permission for cinemas to do that, and it's actually illegal. And I was like, wow, geez, I'm glad I didn't know that when I ran my cinema because I put – um, intermissions into any film that went over two and a half hours. Um, I'd go up the front of the cinema and say, does anyone have a problem with this? I'm going to stop for five minutes. Everybody goes, yes, we'd love to be able to go go to the bathroom and not, you know, be at the end of the movie busting to have a pee. So I was never going to watch this in a cinema, and I'm with you. I watched it in two sittings, and I thought it got off to such a terrific start, and I actually – thought of House of Gods when I watched it. You know, when uh, when this film started, um, it was the opening of it was so attention-grabbing with that sort of modern uh, music soundtrack in there. I think Robbie Robertson was doing the music. But there, this music was kind of like, ah, and, and the images, and straight away I was like, oh, wow, yeah, this is fantastic. And then the movie starts and you, you've got Leonardo DiCaprio, one of my all-time favourite actors, and you've got Robert De Niro in there, and you've got this fantastic cast that includes John Lithgow and Brendan Fraser and Jesse Plemons and then Lily Gladstone uh, playing uh, Molly who gets oh. married to Leonardo DiCaprio, and I think she's up for an Academy Award. But, you know, when I had to put it to a stop, you know, I, I something happened and I had to answer a phone call or something, and I hit pause and I would have probably thought at that stage, well, I reckon this has got about half an hour to go. When I hit pause, I was only at the halfway mark and that's when I kind of went, oh, my God, seriously? Are we only halfway through this? And from that point on, I had a bit of a trouble with, with how long it was going to. It felt to me very repetitive, James. I don't believe that this movie needed to be three and a half hours long. I think you could have easily shaved off an, an hour at least um, and told the same story because some of those scenes of, you know, the, the sick people lying in their beds, slowly getting poisoned, seeing them again and again and again and again, it just went on and on and on for me. Um, I mean, I was there. I watched it through to the end. I got that Martin Scorsese cameo right at the end, and he is still an incredible filmmaker. Um, and you know, Apple TV 
Plus, who had this movie made for their streamer, uh, you know, it, they, they've got a great piece of cinema and it's an important story that needs to be told. I still will say, tell you that. I think it was too long. Now, I was surprised. I mean, watching it, you think, gee, did they really recreate all that town? Or How amazing. Recreate this and that. There's just some amazing scenes in there. And then I look up, gee, apparently it cost about $200 million. Well, there you go. I mean, yeah. so, sometimes some of those aerial shots, mm. you could see that the town's buildings extended extended off for miles in the distance. Yeah, I was with you. I was blown away with uh, the the art direction and, and the sets. Yeah, so and it's based, it's a basically a true story based on David Grant's yeah. uh, nonfiction book, series of murders targeting the wealthy or satiate. Or is it Osage? Osage. Osage, yeah. Indian nation. Maybe it's Osage, James. We just watched Osage, I think they were saying. Okay. Um, In Oklahoma in the 1920s. And I've seen some, I don't know if it's criticism, but some people pointing out that the movie actually underplays a little bit the the violence carried out against the Indians because it's, the movie makes it look all quite subtle, doesn't it? It's yeah. never, you know, never anybody, you know, Robert De Niro plays Leo DiCaprio's uncle, I think, and he encourages him to woo this Indian member of the family who's got all these oil rights. And it's you never really see him come out and say, we want to do it so you can get your hands on her money. It's all implied that they'll do this, you know. So I've, I've got a feeling it was a little bit more naked greed when, when it all happened, you know. So he goes through and he, and he marries her and and then he's involved. He sort of does seem to truly love her and there's some affection between both um, uh, DiCaprio's character and um, Molly, uh, Lily Gladstone's character. But DiCaprio goes through and actually helps murder one by one yeah. All her sisters and all the, ex, you know, gets rid of the extended family. And it just goes on, doesn't it? It takes a real long time but for to work through each death. But it's it's sort of very methodical. It's a sort of methodical storytelling that I that's quite appealing to me. It's, you know, you, you see how it's set out. Um, and I got the feeling that the Leonardo DiCaprio character, Ernest, and he's sort of wearing some false teeth, which gives him a, a di- bit of a different facial uh, uh, persona for this film. Oh. I got the feeling that that guy wasn't very smart and that his uncle knew that and that his uncle was taking advantage of the fact that he wasn't very intelligent to sort of, you know, convince him these things that a smarter person would have gone, hang on a second, no, no, uncle, you can't do that. You know, and it felt to me that this character that Leonardo DiCaprio plays was uh, of a very low IQ and able to be manipulated. DiCaprio didn't really have to extend himself for the Charlotte. Could we say that? I mean, it's he, as opposed to sort of the acting that Lily Gladstone does, I think, DiCaprio's a lot a lot simpler role to fill maybe. I don't know if that's too dismissive, but um, I think she would earn any awards a little bit more than maybe Leo would. If, uh, yeah. 
they they came their way, if I could say that. Robert De Niro's good as the sort of scheming uncle who's sort of sort of manipulating the whole community and trying yeah. to get his hands on on all the sort of the oil wealth. The movie starts with a sort of a uh, an Indian burial ceremony, which looks like a child or an infant. It's buried in the land. And later on in the movie, they talk about where we're buried, we never leave. Yeah. So they're just staying there. Then again, right at the start of the movie, there's oil gushes from the ground and you could see they've sort of got their hands on this property where it's there's great riches under the earth. Yeah. Uh, but then, and they, 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 you know, get the land rights and they become very wealthy people. But they have to, it's terrible how they still have to go in and almost beg for the money. They have to go into like a, a bank or someone who manages the finances pleading for, you know, like $500 for something. They have to explain why they want it and argue with their, their case, even though they're millionaires. And then, of course, you've got that Robert De Niro character and, uh, you know, showing in history that, you know, white men have always tried to keep those minorities down. And I don't know whether you noticed uh, when they go to the movies and Robert De Niro's character is in a cinema watching a newsreel, and what's unfolding in the newsreel is the Tulsa Race Massacre, which was uh, a, a neighbourhood like um, the Osage in this story. They were a very prosperous African-American neighbourhood uh, in 1921, and the white people didn't like them being uppity and didn't like them being successful. So they just went in there and burnt to the ground all of their buildings, all of their businesses, over a 1,000 homes uh, went up in flames just to set them back. I mean, you know, there's obviously a movie or a miniseries in what went on there as well. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a disturbing um part of our history that, you know, a lot of Donald Trump supporters, this is the very sort of stuff, the the type of history they don't want being told. They, mm. you know, and yet these stories uh, do keep coming out. And I think it is really important that we do tell these stories and we particularly real life events in history, we don't put them under the carpet. It's time to bring this stuff out in the open and have a good look at them. And, and uh, so well done to Martin Scorsese for doing this. I, I just question how long he needed to spend doing it. Um, and what about, there's a scene, there's a, there's a street march through the town at one stage and there's all these school bands and there's like a, maybe a group of miners, you know, carrying their flags. And then there's a group of Ku Klux Klan members, always yeah. got hoods on and all that. That was frightening. Well, some of them had the hoods off, which was really like, <laughs> wow, okay, you're just, you're not trying to disguise your identity at all in this march. Yeah, it was, it was a, yeah, I, I did a double take at that as well. Yeah, and you, you talk about the halfway point of the film. That's when the story does pivot a little bit, and that sort of I was really engaged then when investigators came into it because you're thinking through that first half. Oh, is anybody they get, they catalogue a lot of the deaths and they say, you know, um, you know, uh, someone Margaret Smith died, you know, and the date, no investigation, and then. Someone else, Smith, died, no investigation. And you're thinking, well, is this ever going to be exposed? Is anyone going to dig into this? Well, it finally starts to happen 
at the, about the halfway mark of the movie when apparently is one of the FBI's first big investigations or homicide investigations. And they arrive on the scene and start trying to work out what has been happening. And yeah. that's where one of my favourite actors, Jesse Plemons, who plays um, FBI investigator Tom White. Yes, he, yes. Just fantastic. We loved him in Love and Death, where he has an affair with uh, Elizabeth Olsen. You remember that Texas yes, sort of I do. Yeah. murder um, mystery? And he was also in Power of the Dog. It's George Burbank. I think he was the brother of Benedict Cumberbatch's character. Yeah, I'm not about. Yeah, but I'm not. I still don't quite understand that movie. So, um, and you know, if you think back to when he was in Fargo, and I think it might have been the second series of Fargo, um, and he was in that, and I think I think that's where he met uh, Kirsten Dunst, who he is now married to. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. And a quick shout-out to two other uh, actors in this. Look, excuse me, but these are both Billions connections, all right? Oh, so, okay. Lily Gladstone, I hope she does win an Oscar. She played Roxanne in Billions. She was the mistress of Chuck Rhodes Sr. Right. Who was the father of Paul Giamatti's character. Um who he actually married later in the series. She didn't have to do a lot in that, but, hey, she was in it, reasonably significant role. And then also Louis or Louis um, Conchelmi or Conchelmi, um plays a character called Kelsey Morrison, one of the terrible white sort of men who were sort of romancing the Indian women. Uh, yeah. He was Victor, one of the traders in Billions. Oh, so right. I enjoyed seeing both of them doing a continuing Excellent work. Yeah. Okay, so that's um, pretty much Killers of the Flower Moon, Apple TV Plus. Now, before we get into a few things that to leave uh, the listeners with today, let's tick off our shows of the week. And it's there's um, pluses and minuses for both these, isn't there? Yeah, there is. I'm having it really hard deciding which one is show of the week. So I'm going to refuse to play and say oh, to you that I think you. the show of the week was Four Corners. Incredible <laughs> return to TV for 2024. I mean, not only did the episode rate really well, we look at that five city average figure, it got 916,000 viewers, which is a lot yeah. um, for Monday, 8.30pm up against Married at First Sight and everything. But, you know, I think the topic uh, looking into whether or not Woolworths and Coles are price gouging their customers, that was clearly a topic that resonated with the public. And my God, the two CEOs of Woolworths and CEO, I haven't seen two performances as bad as that from CEOs in a long time. Uh, The CEO of Woolworths has now resigned. He uh, said something during the interview that he shouldn't have said and then said to the interviewer, oh, you'll cut that out, won't you? And (laughs) the guy said, no, we won't be doing that. And so he got up and walked off the set and that all went to air. And then the woman from Coles, she was giving these passive aggressive 
answers and staring the interviewer with like daggers at the questions she was being asked about price gorging. I think it was an appalling performance from both of them. So, yeah, if I've got to say a show of the week, sorry, House of Gods didn't grab me. Killers of the Flower Moon is too long. I'm going to say well done to investigative journalism with Four Corners back for 2024. Okay, well, I'm actually I'm going for House of Gods, I think. Wow, well done, James. <laughs> because, look, it's six episodes, I'm three in. Okay. I did have a few problems at the start, but there's some nice stuff about um, the the women and their girlfriends and the sort of party they have behind closed doors one night. I think you'll enjoy that. I think it's the third episode. There's no spoilers there, but it's um, I don't think it's central to the plot, but it's um, it's a, it's nicely done. And I'm just interested to see what happens with that that sort of bribe or that donation to charity, as he calls it, what how that plays out. So there's a few things there that um, want to keep me watching for sure. Look, I and I echo your comments on Four Corners. In fact, I just watched it today before we recorded this. I hadn't seen it yet. It's pretty amazing. Um, pretty amazing. But you probably won't be surprised. That, look, I'll stick up just a little bit for the CEOs. I mean, I think... The regulation that, you know, like the, the CEO from Cole said, look, you've come to me with, we've got 8,000 supplies. You've got an email from one of them, you know. Mm, I just would like to see a little bit, you know, deeper digging into the evidence. Um, uh, sure. And, and look, it, the stuff does cost a lot, you know, but I'd, I'd really like to see some proof of price gouging before we, we go crazy and accuse all these people of doing it. Um, and but even if we take that part away from it, how do two CEOs supposedly at the top of their game who must have access to a team of, you know, marketing people, PR people, clearly they've had some media training, how do you be a CEO and then sit there and be so terrible in an interview like that. Even if you disagree with the question being posed to you or you want to say, look, it's only one of 8,000 supplies or something, I would still expect a major CEO to be able to handle a tough interviewer better than Coles and Woolworths have just done. That was a terrible media performance from, from both of them, I thought. It was staggeringly bad. Yeah, it was. It was. But I think we've all done interviews where where people have said, oh, can we stop? You know, they make a mistake and want to stop, you know. And admittedly, there was a bit more at stake here than you and me doing an entertainment interview with somebody. Yes, yeah. yeah. But, but it happens, you know. But um, stuff happens like that. Yeah, and look, I'm not, I don't dispute your your judgment of them on that at all, really. So that's uh, Four Corners Up on iView. If you haven't seen that, it's an episode well worth watching. Um, for sure. Um, now you've I've, now I've heard a whisper. You've watched an episode of Married at First Sight. You must oh, have some yes, time on your hands. What's what's doing? I know, I know. I, it's it's not something that's high on my list of things to do. However, someone did alert me that on Monday night there was going to be a same sex wedding. So you know, knowing that was going to happen, I watched it, and I couldn't 
help but be impressed watching that episode at how well cast the show is after all these years. The fact that they had this guy whose first husband had run away from him after the, the first wedding and so they bring him back a month later and match him up again with this uh, with this man. So there's that story going on but then they had this this woman called Madeline who said she is a psychic and gets messages and sometimes isn't paying attention because messages are being downloaded to her. You know, she's just so crazy. It's like, where do they find these people? So look, Married at First Sight, you know, it's all about the casting. It would appear that they've done it again and pulled it off. I went to get a haircut the other day, James, and while I was getting my haircut, Every single person in that salon, they were all talking about watching Married at First Sight. It's all they talked about the whole time I had my hair cut. And if we look at their ratings, if we just look at the ratings of last night's episode, Tuesday, Married at First Sight is rating more just, but it's still rating more than Australian Idol and Australian Survivor combined. So it's still a mammoth, mammoth ratings hit. So well done to them. Um, they're promising some big, you know, they're going further than they've ever. It's going to be the, the worst dinner party of all time tonight with something that gets said. I've seen the promo. Do you think I'm going to get sucked into it, James? I'm trying really hard not to go down that vortex. <laughs> and I can bet the uh, producers of uh, Married at First Sight are never going to cut out anything someone says by mistake either. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> It'll be straight into the trailer, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now, quickly, you've got a you, bit of a soap update now. Have you been? You're still keeping up with your soaps. What do you? Oh, want? Yeah, I dip, I dip in and out of them all the time, and so there's there's three that I want to mention today that are doing a really great job. Neighbours has been doing some fantastic work uh, after killing off David, one half of their their gay couple. Um, you know the the fact that they've used that death to power all these other stories. That it's such great writing and really good acting. So well done to Neighbours incredible story that they started six months ago as a flash forward to Christmas Day. And then they had this Christmas Day episode that was just maybe one of their greatest episodes of all time. And that has resulted in six of the female characters. Uh, they've ended up killing somebody, buried a body. Uh, the consequences of this are, are just going to play out for months and months and months. And then the other, day, the other night I was watching The Young and the Restless and just marvelling, James, at how you've still got characters that were front and centre in the 1980s, still front and centre. Victor Newman, still running the show. His wife, Nick. <laughs> Back on the bottle, drinking again, a crazy woman coming after her. You, these heritage characters that have been so important to these shows and they're still using them in major storylines. It's just so impressive uh, to think that, you know, they can keep finding situations for them. So, uh, you know, well done to those soaps that are surviving in a world today with so many extra viewing choices. You know, hardcore fans of those shows uh, still get rewarded when they watch. Okay, and I just wanted to finish off this episode, talk a little bit about Hubble a new streaming device that um, it's coming it's coming from the Foxtel group. It's really got nothing to do with the Foxtel platform, though. It's all about streaming, and it's yep. the device. The idea is it'll help you manage all your streaming services in one place. 
So um, it'll cost you $99 to buy the little device, or you can buy a separate Hubble TV, but let's forget that. That's a, that's a, big, that's a big expense. A lot of yeah. people will be happy with the TVs they've got. So why would you pay $99 for a Hubble device? Uh, it plugs into your TV, and then you can sit all your streaming apps on it, if you like. So let's say you have five subscriptions. You can yep. have them, if they're all going through this, uh, through Hubble, then you, there's a there's a operating system that's a lot easier to switch between the apps. It's a bit more okay. changing the channel on a TV. Right. And it will, right. it will do so things. So you've got a remote control for your Hubble. So. Correct. Yeah, so you only yeah. need one remote control and yep. it manages your TV and all the apps, okay? But plus all the free-to-air as well is all there. And there's a really good TV guide. Now, I'm saying this without having tried it. I'll be trying it shortly, so I'll have another chat. This is just okay. what, they're, what they're promising it will do. So um, don't take this as all gospel. This is the promise. And can and you find out something else when you go to this launch? This Hubble TV they're selling. Yes. It's making the TV. I mean, if you go into a store to buy a TV, you pick the Sharp or the Hisense or whatever. Yeah. I, I'd need to know who was making that TV before I bought, you know. Do, I mean, do they sell Google TVs or stuff like that? I mean. No. Well, they sold a Sky TV in the UK, which I think they? this is what it's based on. I'm not right, sure how okay. successful that was, but anyway. Um, so, yeah, so all your streaming apps, all your free-to-air, uh, it will manage them all. Now. Yep. There will also be discounts. They've got something called stack and save. So if you get a, if you buy, I don't know, three, three apps, you'll get a certain amount off, four, a little bit more, five, a little bit more. We're not sure how much yet. And so does this mean pre-existing accounts? So I've already got all the apps. Would I be able to take all those pre-existing things, put them into Hubble and get a discount? Good question. Or is it going to be one of those things where you have to start from scratch? I think some you will that. have to start from scratch. Others, right. I think like Netflix, will let you migrate across. Because, see, Foxtel already have this relationship with some of the streamers, right? Mm. So on my Foxtel IQ, I my Netflix and my Amazon Prime and my Paramount goes through there. I think what's interesting about this Hubble announcement is the announcement that Stan are going to join this relationship because they've been the one big streamer that so far has resisted Foxtel. Everybody right. else is there. Disney Plus is there. Seven Plus. You know, all the free-to-airs are there, but Stan has gone, we are not going on that Foxtel box, but maybe they will now. They've signed that agreement with Hubble. Yeah, yeah, Stan, Stan's on there. I mean, the big the big global players, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Prime, um, YouTube, interestingly, is on there. Yeah, um, already Apple, there on Foxtel. Apple TV+, yeah. Plus and Paramount+. Plus. Yeah. Uh, of course, all the Foxtel group ones there, KO, Binge, um what and they're launching a new one lifestyle which yeah is i saw cool that lifestyle channels and uh flash which is the news channels um yep. and all the free so abc iview um sbs on demand seven plus 
nine now, and ten play. Yeah, wow. I think they could be one that is missing, which I quite like, is Brickbox. That's, oh, yeah, okay. That's not there yet, but that might be, there might be more to come, I think. But the big question yeah, I've got okay. is, it, is it worth your $99 to have this, have all this stream? I've got a feeling it might be, but I think we'll, we'll need to find out after we, people get some hands on time with the device. Because, you know, one of the um, big criticisms of Foxtel before streaming was that they would people would be locked into a contract and playing this thing, and then they would bring up some fabulous new deal and offer a cheaper rate, but it wouldn't get offered to their existing customers. Yeah. So there was always this disconnect there, and it was like, well, that's great for a new customer. And, I mean, how many customers out there, most customers out there now that would be interested in this, and I am certainly interested in something that's going to aggregate everything and make it really easy with one remote control, and hopefully it's a very, I'm, I'm sure my Foxtel remote, I love that IQ remote because it, it's in the palm of your hand. It works in the dark. It, it, the buttons that you need are really easy to find. And I don't have to turn on a light and put on my reading glasses to use it. I will assume, given their sharing technology with Sky, that they're going to have a fantastic remote for Hubble. But for me to buy it, it's, it's, oh, I'm going to need to know that there's going to be some saving down the track. If I'm going to be outlaying $99 for it when I've already got everything now. I'm already sorted, you know, that if there's going to be some sort of discount, that's going to be important. And that might, might I mean, am I going to have to cancel? Is someone going to have to cancel all their existing uh, contracts with everyone and then go to Hubble and then rejoin everything to get them at this cheaper price? That would be super annoying. Yeah. I mean, two quick things. One is a lot of Foxtel people aren't going to probably want Hubble because yeah. they've already got, a lot of things in the one place. Yes. People who just stream who might have accounts all over the shop and have to go and open and close and, you know, so it's probably more of an attraction uh, to them. But the yeah. other thing, the thing I like about it is you can stop and start easily. Yes. We, we often talk about, look, you don't need to keep these apps running all the time, you know. Um, for me at the moment, I'm just not watching anything on Disney+. Plus. There's, yeah. nothing, there's nothing there for me. I'd let that yeah. stop for a few months, you know. Yeah. You're going to be saving. And we've talked about BritBox. Because of the quantity of originals, I don't think you need to keep that running. So you could make significant savings, and it's very yes. easy to stop and start in this one app. So you could maybe reclaim that $99 pretty quickly. Well, you know, I've said this before. You need a spreadsheet to know. <laughs> about your streaming everyone should be running this spreadsheet if you're really into tv and you really love it you should be making a list of all the shows that we recommend that you think yeah i'd like to watch that keep it on a spreadsheet if you are on a budget the way to do it would be when you get several shows on disney boom i'm watching them for the month get all those shows out of it and then look at your list and go right where which streamer now has the most shows built up for me to watch there that's really the only way to do it and that is a lot of work james i know it's, most people just go whatever i'll just particularly if they offer an annual fee that's a discount you just go i'm just going to pay the annual fee and it's just there but yeah you're right there's a there's a lot of wastage with that system because it's a couple of streamers that i'm not watching very much of at all at the moment sure okay so we'll report back on hubble in okay. the, the next few weeks all right andrew just reminding people 
controversial selections for shows of the week. James went with House of Gods after saying, well, it wasn't that great. And then Andrew didn't want a piece of either of House of Gods or um, Kells of the Flower Moon. He went for Four Corners. So there you go. Thank you for listening to TV Gold. Andrew will be writing about three women, which we're both working our way through, and yet it is very good. Andrew, we'll speak to you next week. Thanks, James. Have a great week.